Hi, this is Sierra Webster, sports reporter at the Daily Emerald, and you're listening to the Emerald Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Emerald Podcast Network. I'm Sean Meadow. I'm joined today with Sierra Webster. Hey. And Maggie Vanoni. What's up? And we're going to talk a little bit about Oregon women's basketball today on the Emerald Podcast Network. It's January 30th, 2019. It is 4 o'clock in the afternoon. We haven't had interviews this week, so we don't have a ton of new information since the end of the weekend, except that Oregon women's basketball has moved up to number 4 from number 5 in the AP poll. They play Utah number 14 on Friday. Sierra and Maggie will be covering that match Heck yeah! for the Emerald. They covered the Arizona State game two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> that was crazy. Um, keep that in there, Ryan. Uh, Arizona State game two weeks ago. What did you two see from, from that game? I know UNESCO's season-high 31 points is listed here on our mm-hmm. rundown. What else? Oregon was slow to start. They trailed most of the first quarter. Um, picked it back up, but then almost lost it again at the end. Within 17 seconds, where the Sun Devils were within two points of the Ducks, um, with some key free throws from Sabali and Ionescu. Oregon made it out just barely, but yeah, Ionescu had a season high 31 points, which was big. But there was a lot of breakdowns. It was kind of weird. It was like watching the game. You see them go from dom- dominating to literally it was the last. Under a minute, they of the game where ASU had came come up and they were just surging, and it was kind of interesting to see the Ducks kind of wake, but kind of a wake up start, a fourth quarter wake up start. Like you know, you can't just slow down when you're ahead. You have to keep pushing on all the buttons and keep going. Yeah, yeah. And they had to hit free throws, right? Oregon went mm-hmm, to the line mm-hmm. a couple of times. Yeah, at the end. yeah, was yeah. Satu, Sabali, Sabrina, and Sabrina Unescu went four for four from the free throw line in the last couple seconds. And who knows what would have yeah. happened if they had missed those shots. Yeah. And Sobley was really big on the block. She had that one beautiful block where she came mm-hmm. out of nowhere. Um, but she tied her season high with blocks. So that was really big too. Yeah. Satu Sobley has been huge on the defense. And then she had a big offensive game against Arizona. And Sierra, you covered that one as mm-hmm. well. And a, you have 20 to zero run in that game that yes. just kind of took that one away. It was, it was honestly unbelievable. I was sitting there like shaking my head like this cannot, because they opened it up with right the twenty zero run, and it was just like every time they kept just kept making shots. Sabali was really big in that game. Um, she almost fouled out, so they took her out in the third quarter. She didn't get a lot of minutes in the second half, which I think is likely why she was just shy of her career high, which she has since broken. Yeah, she said it with eight three pointers this past weekend. We also I think that was her career high in that game. It has to be. I think so. You don't score eight three-pointers and not hit a career. Like, that was, at the time, tying UO's singles game high for three-pointers. Uh-huh. Like, you you can't be. Right, right. But, yeah, so she was big in that game. And then Sabrina's 16th. 16th triple-double, which at this point is, like, doesn't feel surprising, which is ridiculous because <laughs> triple-doubles are, like, a big deal. But it's like, oh, whatever. Yeah, like, the fact she has six this year is yeah. also just incredible. Like, incredible. Just what a player, of course, and a really good story in Bleacher Report about her as well. Marin Fader put that story out, and I think that also just shows a little bit of her intensity, too. Just talking about how she, just the lead alone in that story, how she tosses and turns at night. 
I think the competitiveness that she brings is um, is showing. It'll be interesting to see how she performs when they get onto the big stage later this season. But they were on a big stage against two teams who they had no trouble with first time around the Washington schools this mm-hmm. weekend. And they were some slow starts. Oregon was trailing in the first half in both of these games. The Washington State game, though, Oregon turns it around and wins this game. And then the Washington game, the same thing happens. But, the like you said, Maggie, a wake-up call in Arizona State. A little bit of one against Washington State as well. They came out of this game, I think, expecting a team to just fall over. And the, the Cougars, they... They didn't bow down. They played their heart out. And that was a team that Oregon wiped the floor with in the opening week in a Pac-12 play and beat them by 40. This time, trailed at halftime. It's an interesting thing. I think this wake-up call, I think they need a Pac-12 loss. Maybe. I mean, maybe that would be the wake-up call that they yeah, need. I think a huge wake-up call. Yeah. I think if anyone's going to do it at this point, I mean, Utah is yeah. chomping at the bits. We'll dive into that one in a second as well, but Satsi Sabley, like we mentioned, eight three-pointers against Washington State. Aaron Boley, nine. Yeah, for a career-high 28. Just how good has she been? You talked to her mm-hmm. before the season started. Did you expect her to have this kind of impact? Well, when I talked to like Graves and some of the other players and even Boley, the theme was like, oh, she can shoot the three-ball, she can shoot the three-ball. Um, and I think I was like, expecting that but I don't think quite to this extent I think I think it still surprised me surprises me both her and Sobley because they're tall they could easily play a high post low post position they're out on that three-point arc and I think that's really one of Oregon's main strengths is that four of their five starters can consistently put back three-pointers and Boley is one of them yeah Aaron Boley really stepping into the the void left by Lexi Bando, which I think yeah. was something everyone was curious about how Oregon would adjust to. She just slipped right in there, and I think she adds this special presence as well just because of her height yeah. that Lexi didn't have. And her strength, she's oh, much bigger than Lexi, not just height-wise, but um, strength-wise too. And this big game coming up on Friday, let's just dive right into it, against Utah at Matthew Knight Arena. Mm-hmm. An evening tip-off between two top 15 teams. This is a huge game for both teams. 7-1 and Utah, Pac-12 record. 8-0 and Oregon. This is for the, the top of, of, top the, of the conference. conference this is it. So, going into this game, what matchups are you, you two looking forward to? Is there any player that needs to have a big game in in either team. Yeah, I think uh, Megan Huff will be big for Utah. Uh, she outscores um, all of the Ducks, uh, and she also out-rebounds all of the Ducks um, and is ranked second in the Pac-12 with rebounds, and so I think um, that will need to be a focus for Oregon. For sure. I think, like like you said, Sean, like if they if Oregon was to lose a, lose a Pac-12 match, this game has a lot riding on that. For this to be that game, I mean... We saw them kind of get shaken up a little bit by the Washington schools. But then again, now they're at home. And, you know, they do, they do perform better when they're at home core, when they're at mat night. I don't know. Little, and then you have, you have Utah, who just beat Stanford last weekend. So they're kind of riding a little bit of a high. 
granted their preseason wasn't as high um, caliber cont- opponents as Oregon's was, but I'm curious to see if this will be like, how was Oregon going to keep up the momentum throughout the whole game? Because mm-hmm. they're going to need to. Yeah, and I think Huff is the really good example that Sierra brought up, a 50% shooter. Her matchup in the paint is going to be big. Ruthie Heber is going to have a tough mm-hmm. matchup. And, and she's 6'3". Six, 6'3", three. Six three, yeah. which is going to mean that Ruthie Hebert is actually going to have someone on the court against her who's going to stack up mm-hmm. physically with her for a change, right. which I think <clears throat> probably haven't seen since, I want to say Texas A&M or last year. Mississippi State this year. Monique Bowling. Yeah, yeah, that's, oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> like th- There's just a lot of examples, of yeah. course, but just we haven't really seen Ruthie Hebert tested. It's kind of been her own fallbacks I guess in games where she's missed shots and free throws but yeah I think that is going to be 6 foot 4 Ruthie Hebert versus mm-hmm. 6 foot 3 Megan Huff is definitely yeah. the matchup to watch for folks in this Utah game but yeah. Oregon is looking really confident Sabrina Ionescu is playing really well still Maite Cazorla still has that backcourt locked down and mm-hmm. of course Taylor Chavez she's getting a little bit mm-hmm. more confident didn't shoot though too much this weekend but she's getting into the flow of the game better. I think we've seen that. And she's practicing a little extra, and she's working on stuff. She has to be big, I think, down the stretch for Oregon. I think you go into this latter part of the season, and without without the ability to have the depth that teams normally would have, they're going to need to rely on some depth. Audie Gilden, Taylor Chavez, those are the two names that I think should come up for Oregon. Mm-hmm. Another, I don't know if you agree or not. But. Yeah, I think I agree. Another interesting thing about this matchup is Utah hasn't been in Oregon since 2015, in the 2014-15 season, which means that no one on the Oregon squad has ever lost to Utah. And granted, it's every season is new. Utah has five freshmen. But I think that there's something that's – there's like a, a legacy here of Oregon being able to put this team to bed. Yeah, that's – that's going to be something that will definitely loom large for Utah and I think inspire them going into this game. Mm-hmm. Oregon's the team with the target on their back this year. Yeah. They are. Yeah, and they the stakes it. are high, particularly for this game, because it puts if Utah upsets Oregon, it puts Utah at the top of the Pac-12, which is a big deal. And also like big for just like team morale, confidence. Like What does that do for Utah But what is in the long run, but also what does that do for Oregon? In the short run. And Oregon just got to number four after, what, four weeks of being number five? It's hard to move up in that, that top yeah. of it. And I I always feel like if you're in that top five, you're gonna there's going to be movement. Look at Notre Dame losing. Yeah. that it, Anyone can go down at any point, and I think this is the biggest chance for Utah to really put some stake. Obviously, the win against Stanford, that momentum, if that carries over, Oregon's going to have a tough time, but... They may have a tough time on Sunday, too. Colorado, J.R. Payne, the head coach, her third year at Colorado, and her team has been pretty solid. They met the Ducks in the Pac-12 tournament last year. Quarterfinals. In the quarterfinals. Oregon got the bye to that point. Colorado Mm -hmm. had to play into that game. They beat Utah. Exactly. It's it's an interesting team, and Colorado, J.R. Payne, the reason I bring her up is just because she coached with Kelly Graves at Gonzaga, 
there's that rivalry, and I think that's always a storyline to watch in those games. Mm -hmm. They have such a good relationship and such praise for one another that I think it's always something to keep tabs on when these two teams face each other in Pac-12 play. But Oregon, it depends on how they play against Utah. It's hard to preview Sunday games. It really is without the Friday game being played. But what, what initial thoughts going into this game? I mean, Colorado, just for perspective... 0-8 0-8 in conference yeah. this year, Oregon shouldn't have the biggest trouble. But if they have a bad game against Utah, Colorado might be on the ending, the bad end of a comeback. Yeah, just one of those get our anger out type of plays where where Oregon just comes in and rattles them. Yeah, I think this the Sunday game is just it's going to be a demolition no matter what because if Oregon beats Utah, it's going to be just one of those okay. Yeah, but at the same time. Pac-12 is top to bottom a strong conference, and I think with Oregon knowing what they have ahead after this with a trip to the Bay, that includes, of course, Stanford, mm. that Colorado game is going to be important to stay healthy, try some things out, and get players going. But the Utah game, I think, is what we'll obviously focus on more, and I think what everyone's focusing on more ahead of this weekend. But is this, right now, this Utah game, the biggest game at Matthew Knight Arena this year for Oregon women's basketball, or... I don't know, Mississippi State. Was that Mississippi State, State game State. always going to... Okay, so biggest Pac-12 game. Or is Oregon, Oregon State, pardon me, in three weeks' time? Yeah. Is that a bigger one? That's in the middle. It's sandwiched right there between games against Stanford and then the away game against Oregon State on the Monday. I think that's kind of hard because you have right now Utah being ranked as they are right now. I mean, it adds that kind of a storyline of top of the Pac-12. But then you look at Oregon State, and not only do you have them being a great team, but you also have them being the state rivals. And that's going to add a lot of more storyline, a lot of more hoo ha ness That's not the right word. And a lot more of us, like, anticipation around that game as well. And then they play Oregon State that Friday and that similar that Monday, too. So that's twice all. I don't know. I I don't know how I was going to end that comment, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, Oregon State, props to them. When you lose a player like Sidney Weiss two years ago, like they've still been good. Look at Washington, just the fall off after Plum left. It's been gradual, for, or not even gradual for them. It was a terrible year for Washington last year, and they've not had a great year this year. And you're a perennial power like that, and then you, you fall off. That's a hard one, and Oregon State's done really well to to maintain. I think that is that is something to keep an eye on as well, just the fact that they're still really good top to bottom, and it's a top 10 team, and they are rightfully so, number nine. Yeah. Seven and one in Pac-12. Um, they're a good team. They're probably going to win over Colorado, and I think their game against Utah is going to be just as good of a game as Oregon versus Utah on Friday. Yeah. That's going to be the game on Sunday for everyone to watch. Mm-hmm. And that's tough for, for Utah as well to know that they're coming into a weekend where they're going to play two top 10 teams. Yeah, looking for two big upsets, followed by a big upset at Stanford. So a lot cooking for them. Yeah, that momentum could shift. They're looking at this probably when they look at this schedule and they see those three games back to back to back going, oh, goodness. Yeah. And at the same time going, get one win out of that, and that's a good trip. Mm-hmm. Or that's a good, um, a good, I guess, record of one and two. Run, yeah. But if they could get two wins out of those three, that could be pretty special. And I think their momentum against from Stanford 
is going to carry over. And Utah's one loss in Pac-12 play was against Arizona, Arizona State. State. Yeah, and that's another good team, and that team almost at the time, that almost took Oregon last very weekend. easily could yeah. have, and yeah. I think that'll be something just to keep an eye on for Utah as well as how they carry this momentum over and how Oregon reacts. But I think that'll be an interesting thing on in Friday's game because for if things go as we're kind of talking about them going, the game on Friday will be big for both teams. Utah has to go to Oregon State. But Oregon's got Colorado, so I feel like the intensity or the the amount of energy in that Friday game or the 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 stakes are higher for Utah because they have a big game following it. But Oregon can put everything into this game to see Colorado on Sunday. I think that's a great point to kind of end on a little bit, but I just want to kind of tie in together the importance of this team with such a small roster, mm-hmm. that one injury and we're changing exactly everything we're talking yeah. about, which is something that I've been just watching every game and thinking if this one, if there's an injury here. But Oregon's managed to get to the point where here they are going into their ninth game of Pac-12 play. Undefeated. Undefeated. In Pac-12 play. In Pac-12 play. The one loss this season. Michigan State. At Michigan State. And I think that could have been just as easily a win as it was a loss, but... Mm-hmm. Oregon versus Utah on Friday. Sierra Webster and Maggie Vanoni will have coverage for you there. DailyEmerald.com. Check them out on Twitter as well. Um, and follow at ODE Sports on Twitter for all the coverage and stories that we have here at the Daily Emerald. And um, Sunday's game against Colorado. You can also check out the stories from that game at DailyEmerald.com. And follow... Of course, ODE Podcast on Twitter, our gracious podcast host, or producer and editor and extraordinaire, Ryan Wynn. For producing this one, I'm Sean Meadow, for Sierra Webster and Maggie Vanoni, and everyone at the Daily Emerald. Subscribe, please. Pays the bills, sort of. (laughs) Thanks for listening.